Morning, Bethel. All right. Well, if you can turn in your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, you can grab the one in the pew in front of you. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in Acts 17. And you can find it on page 926 in the Pew Bible. So Acts 17, we're going to read verses 16 to 31. So as you're finding that, would you mind standing with me in honor of God's Word? Acts 17, and I'll read verses 16 to 31. Now, while Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul Standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay, so as we consider this spiritual discipline of service, I want you to think about your own life a little bit. First, have you ever been enslaved to something? 
food. You've tried how many diets. You just can't seem to break away from the gravitational pull of comfort food. How about gambling? There's a variety of forms there. Anybody ever been enslaved to to gambling? Anybody presently enslaved to gambling? No need to, no show of hands necessary here. How about alcohol? Slavery to it. Using it like your medication. How about porn? How about shopping? How about money? People serve money, enslaved to money. That can look, it can be kind of evidenced in a variety of ways. So let's take those things. Does anybody do those things out of duty? The things I just mentioned? Maybe for some of you, this, this wouldn't hit certain demographics in the room here, but other, other demographics pretty strongly. What about video games? Anybody ever been enslaved to those? They kind of had that tendency, which is why you get so angry when you can't reach that next level. How many gamers play video games out of duty, begrudgingly? If you're easily addictable to Facebook, do you ever look at that out of duty? Oh, I guess I got to check it again. You know, you got to put it on your calendar to rem- remind yourself. YouTube videos, anybody gotten enslaved to those little tiny mini slaveries where you start one and then you're, oh my goodness, I just wasted an hour. Pinterest, Instagram. Okay, so have you ever been enslaved to anything? Anybody? Oh, good grief. The rest of you are lying. Okay. So we'll talk about the spiritual discipline of honesty next week. Um, Okay, so what are your connotations with serving God? So we talked about slavery to service to these other things. What are your connotations with serving God? For a lot of my life, it was, that was tantamount to duty, obligation, it's a drag. But Mark read, did Mark read, did we all read? Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. Do you often resonate with that, serve the Lord with gladness? Do you ever resonate with that? If you don't, often or ever, do you ever wonder why you don't resonate with that? And why are we glad servants of other things? So this morning, we're going to continue this Renewing Discipline series, um, and the topic is service. So last week I said this would probably be the last week. Um, Next week, I think it's going to be the last week. And as I've been praying about this, um, I think we need to do a week. I still have two ideas in my head. I don't think it's going to be two weeks. It'll probably be one or the other. But something along the lines of, what about when I've been sluggish, when I've failed? 
when I've just blown it with the disciplines. <laughs> the other idea is the discipline of God in Hebrews 12. So we've been talking about renewing spiritual disciplines. What about, what do we think of the discipline of God? Because that's a topic in Scripture. So anyway, it'll be one of those two, and I think we're also going to do a community discussion at the end of it. If you were here last summer, um, we end about 20, 30 minutes early and then have opportunity to discuss and dialogue on the passage that we considered, but I want you to actually react a little bit to the series and also share testimony of maybe how the Lord has used the series to encourage you to renew some of these disciplines. So encourage you to prepare to give testimony along those lines next week. Okay, so the topic is service. And the passage is 1 Peter 4, and it's just two verses. Um, so if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> so on page 1016 in the Pew Bible, if you're using that. I won't take time to really give much in the way of context. You can look back just a few verses at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> Serve with gladness, right? And then our verses, okay? So this is what love looks like. Love with hands and feet is service one to another. So let's I'm going to read verses 10 and 11 here, and we'll, we'll dive in. There is a, an outline in the bulletin, if it's helpful for you to follow along that way. We'll also have the points up on the slides, I think, as we go along. So, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay? So that's our text for this morning. But the first point, actually the first two points, are not in this text because we've got to set this thing in context. Otherwise, we could totally miss the point of what it means to serve God in the Bible, okay, and in life. So first point is, do not serve God. It's intentionally a little provocative, but do you remember the text that I read for, this, for the uh, Scripture reading in Acts 17? Does that sound a little strange in your ears? But Acts 17, 24, and 25 says the God who made the world, this was Paul when he was preaching in Corinth, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, or Athens, he was in Athens, um, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So, have you ever noticed there's two kinds of service in the world? There's service that aims at giving, meeting a need, and there's service that's aimed at receiving. You tracking with me? 
Have you seen both of these versions of service? So it's really obvious. Let's say your friend is moving. They need some people to do some heavy lifting. So you offer to serve them and you meet a need. But so many other things that we serve, we serve in order to receive. How do people serve money? Does money need anything? No, it promises something. It offers something. It makes a promise to you. And if you believe that promise, you will serve money in order to receive its blessings. So here's the whole point. If you and I, if we try to serve God in order to give to God as if he needs it, we dishonor him. That's not Christian service. He is not an employer with a job description in need of employees. His grace, his blessings are not earned by the spiritually industrious. Salvation is not a paycheck that you can earn, that I can earn. That view of God paints him as needy and us as wage earners, okay? God is not our boss. He's our benefactor. He doesn't need our service. He gives. So even when he asks things of us, commands things to us, it's because he wants to give to us. That's what Acts 17 is saying. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. (laughs) He owns it all. He made it all. He gives it all. Just want to drive this point home because this is so important. Otherwise, we could hear 1 Peter 4 in a way that would be absolutely not what was intended by Peter. So can you flip back to Romans 4? Just want you to see how this point is so clearly stated repeatedly in the Bible. Romans 4.4, 4, page 941 in the Pew Bible, verses 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, it's kind of like service, isn't it? His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Okay, so we don't, we're not saved by working and earning a wage of being right with God. Instead, we don't work to earn God's favor. We believe in the promise that he offers to us through Jesus And when we receive that, we are justified, made right with God, reconciled to him. Okay? It's the same thing in Ephesians. You don't have to turn there, but these verses are probably familiar to most of you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay? So you and me, we are not spiritual taxpayers. 
But a lot of people relate to God that way, and we can fall into that pattern. Hey, pay my good works taxes, and I feel entitled to a pretty good life in heaven when I die. I've earned it. By the way, I think that's one of the reasons that relatively moral people get angry with God when things don't go well. When they get cancer, when they suffer losses, because they feel like they're entitled to better treatment than this. I've paid my taxes. No, we are welfare recipients. Our sin is pervasive. We're crooked deep down, okay? We bring nothing but debt to the table with God. What do we have to offer God that isn't already His, that He doesn't already have? Nothing. We can't give to Him. In, in order to, to kind of convince Him, we, we can't control Him. Well, if I do this, then He'll have to, you know, that's like pulling the slot machine. He's not a genie like that. So, listen. This is actually really good news. This is the foundation of the good news of the gospel because aren't you glad that acceptance with God isn't only for those who have it all together? Guess what? That would be an empty set, (laughs) people that have it all together. But if you and I, if we know that our spiritual pockets are empty, then we will know that the gospel of Jesus is good news for bad people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when we know we're in touch with the fact that we're spiritually bankrupt, we know that we need rescued, we know that we need help from outside because it's got to come from outside because I can't save me, I'm not my own savior, only Jesus can save me. When we really know that, then we're going to know not to serve God unless Jesus has first served us. Okay? Second point. Most of you are probably familiar with the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, you know, before he went to the cross. Um, He's having this last meal with them. And, um, you know, here is their Lord and teacher, and he puts on the humble towel of the servant and washes their feet, okay? Most of us, you know, we like that story, but you know what? If, if we had been there, we would have been shocked. That job was reserved for the lowest of slaves. It's typically a Gentile, non-Jewish slave job. So it was scandalous that Jesus would stoop to that level. And Peter kind of captures for us more of the shock in the way that he responded to Jesus when Jesus got to him. Okay, are you familiar with this? So when Jesus got to Peter, Peter questioned him, Lord, would you wash my... I know you don't understand now, Peter, but you you will. And then Peter says this, you shall never wash my feet. Do you know what Jesus responded with? He answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If you don't let me serve you, you don't get it. 
if you don't welcome and receive my service to you, you're not one of my disciples. <laughs> so then Peter just, okay, okay, head, head to toe, go ahead. Well, those who are clean, he says, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. In other words, Peter, I know you, your faith is imperfect, but I know you trust me. Not everybody does, Judas. But everybody who does needs continual washing and cleansing, right? So if you're a Christian, you're clean, but you'll, you'll continue to need cleansing on a regular basis. You need your feet washed, served by Jesus again, forgiveness and cleansing, okay? So it's symbolic of our need for forgiveness and cleansing. So here's the thing. We don't get right with God by serving others, by doing a bunch of nice things in order to placate God or get him on our good side or get on his good side. Okay, we get right with God by realizing our need for forgiveness and cleansing and trusting in Jesus' death on the cross in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. For, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served. There it is again but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, I've quoted from the Book of the Month, Spiritual Disciplines, Christian Life by Don Whitney. Um, Still encourage you to get that book and read it if you haven't already. But listen to a couple quotes that I think capture this thought well in his chapter on service. The child of God works not for life, spiritual life, but from life. He does not work to be saved. He works because he's saved. The people of God do not serve him, serve God, in order to be forgiven, but because we are forgiven. Christians aren't prisoners who serve in God's kingdom grudgingly because of guilt. We serve willingly because Christ's death freed us from guilt. So do not serve God, Bethel. Anybody else that's visiting with us? Unless Jesus has first served you by saving you. And if you've never received that service, the ultimate service, you should, you can, right now. Just by being honest with your sin and your guilt and your need of rescue and forgiveness, believing that Jesus died on the cross to serve you, He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So if you've never received that service, you can. Welcome him as your savior and the king of your life. Now, if you've turned already from your sin, trusted in Jesus as your savior, then you're a Christian, right? So hopefully that's most of us in the room here. And that then brings us to our passage this morning um, in the book of of 1 Peter. So, one quick thought here. If you're a Christian, this is is what's happened. This is how Peter describes the service of God toward us to change us first before we do any service for God. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We didn't do that. We didn't earn that. We didn't make that happen. That happens by his sovereign, amazing grace. We're down in verse 18 of chapter 1. Knowing that you were ransomed 
from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. If you need ransom, that's because you're a slave and you can't pay yourself out. You can't buy your freedom. Jesus died in order to ransom us, pay our debt so that we could go free. So if you've received that gift, you're a Christian, and then you've also received at least one more gift. And that brings us to our passage this morning. You've received a gift Point number three, look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So if you're a Christian, you have gift. You have gifts. I mean, we all have at least a gift. Some of us have more than one gift, spiritual gift. But everyone, every Christian in this room has at least one spiritual gift. Okay? Paul wrote this, said it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay? So since we're given these gifts, they're gifts from God. Since we've received them, you and I, we're stewards. We're stewards of God's grace. And God's grace is beautiful. It's multicolored. It's manifold. It's varied. Okay, not everybody has the same gifts. There are all kinds of gifts. There's a whole spectrum of capacity with those gifts, right? Different personalities exercise those gifts in different ways. There are wonderful combinations of gifts. You know, like King David, interestingly, was this, he, he was a military leader and a songwriter. How great is that? Gift of leadership and this artistic gift to praise and glorify God. We need no more poet warriors today, okay? Anyway, there's lots of different gifts. But that's one of the things that makes the church the church, one body, many parts. Again, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Did you hear that last phrase? The gifts that God gives His people are given for a purpose. We're given a gift to be used So point number four, use it, use your gift to serve others as a steward. Verse 10 again, as each has received a gift. How did you receive that gift? Freely, (laughs) right? Freely received it, well, freely give it. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards, as good stewards of God's varied grace, okay? It's given to you for the common good. So just, this is really simple, but we should be simple and clear here. Are you, if you're a Christian, are you using your spiritual gift or gifts for the common good here at Bethel? God is telling us, don't neglect to use it. Don't use it for selfish purposes. Use it to serve one another. Okay, we are gifted to give God's varied grace to one another. 
So are you giving grace to others regularly? Okay, our lives, if it's in him that we live and move and have our being, he made us, he saved us, he's given us all this grace, then you know what? Our life, our time, our talents, our money, our gifts, they're not our own. If we're a Christian, we've been bought with a price, we're stewards. And what has been entrusted to us has been given for the sake of others. So, I mean, if, if you were a steward of some kind of fund, you, you don't draw on that fund, you know, to go rock climbing if it was intended for orphans. So are we being good stewards? Nothing against rock climbing. It's, it's an illustration. Um, so you see what I'm saying. That would be embezzlement. So God's given us gifts. Are we using them for their intended purpose, for the common good? Okay, so maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Okay. Listen to Whitney again here. I think this is a wise statement. In addition to the study of Scripture, there are several texts that you can look through because there's lists of gifts in the New Testament. So you could read through those and say, I wonder if maybe it's that one. Romans 12, 4 to 8, you could write that down. Read through 1 Corinthians 12. Read through Ephesians 4, 7 to 13, and then our text here as well. But he says, in addition to the study of Scripture, the best way to discover and confirm which spiritual gift is yours is through serving. Just try something. (laughs) Okay, so fill a need. There are needs around here. If you don't know what they are, just ask. Okay, there's children's ministry needs. I'm not sure why. Oftentimes, it seems to be a challenge to meet all those needs, but there's needs there. You could try something that sounds like a good fit, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, Okay, try something else. Talk to your home group folks. Ask them what they think your gift might be. You know, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Tyler about some of the needs and opportunities. Um, ask Gail in the office. She's definitely clued into what's going on and some of the needs. Okay? But as I say that, I would also say don't think that service is only limited to slots that need to be filled. Okay? What about the service of hospitality? That's like, you can never fill all those slots, right? Sunday lunches, inviting people over so that we kind of breed a culture of hospitality here among us. How about notes of encouragement? I know there's some people here. I can put her on the spot because she's not here this morning. Marsha Atkinson has used that as a gift. Notes of encouragement. Prayer. Intercession. We need more prayer warriors in this church. Babysitting. You could use babysitting as a ministry. Moving ministry. Talk to Dave Grip. Um, Dave Grubb. There's others that just, what a blessing to serve and help in really practical ways. Um, welcome ministry. Maybe it's on your heart to make our church more warm and welcoming, and you have some ideas for how to do that. Hey, come talk to us. So, and that's just using those gifts among us inside our church family. And there's also lots of opportunities with our neighbors and friends. So the possibilities are endless, okay? Peter actually goes on to put the gifts in two categories. And he's not trying to be exhaustive here. But he's using two categories to kind of make it more concrete for us. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. So point five, whoever speaks, whoever serves, they'll get 
verses 10 and 11. It's really 11 here, but we need to ramp up to it again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, if that's your gift, do it as one who speaks the oracles of God. So verse 10, look at it there, tells us why we should use speaking gifts to serve others. Verse 11 tells us how we should use speaking gifts as one who speaks the oracles of God. So what does that mean? Oracles like connotations of Warren Buffett or, you know, um, fortune teller in a movie you saw or something like that. No. It's speaking as one speaking the sayings or the words of God. Okay? So what that means is that we should speak as Christians, especially if our gift is along these lines, teaching, evangelism, counseling, encouragement, that kind of thing. We should speak as Christians as if we are speaking on behalf of God, as if we are his ambassadors and representatives. I wonder why. Because we are. (laughs) If we're Christians, we are his ambassadors, his representatives, okay? And that can take different forms. Like I said, evangelism, we are God's mouthpiece, We considered this in more detail last week, but listen to 2 Corinthians 5, the way that Paul speaks there. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. When Paul spoke, he was speaking as one speaking the very words of God. How about counseling? And this could be formal or informal. Okay, if you're interested in biblical counseling, talk to Bill and Barb. Um, They're going this Saturday for some training in Lafayette. Um, Might be too late to jump on board for this year, but there's other training opportunities in the area. If you want to help people who are hurting, well, you do that by giving them in a wise, gracious, tactful, helpful way God's words, his perspective, his wisdom, people that are seeking hope and help. How about teaching? If you're, if you're teaching little ones or adults or anywhere in between, do it as one speaking the very words of God. You are God's representative to those kids. That is a sober trust. We don't want to lead them astray, right? We want to speak as one speaking the very words of God. Or how about just encouragement? To pray that you would have the right word at the right time to encourage somebody that's down or struggling. It can make all the difference. So God gives us words. They're meant to be spoken. They are meant to give grace good stewards of God's very grace, speaking them as speaking the very words of God. Okay? Familiar with Ephesians 4.29? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Take some wisdom that it may give grace to those who hear. So this is a spiritual discipline to speak in a way that builds people up rather than tearing them down. We need to renew this discipline, and we will be renewed in the process, and we will be a conduit of renewal in other people's lives as well. So first, speaking gifts, Paul or Peter refers to, and then secondly, serving gifts. 
Okay, look at it there. Whoever serves, verse 11, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Okay, so remember, again, verse 10 tells us why we should use serving gifts, why we should use gifts of service, well, to serve others is kind of obvious. Verse 11 tells us how we should use serving gifts as one who serves by God's strength. This is a really important thing to learn and discipline ourselves and remind ourselves and learn how to operate in the strength that God supplies, not in our own steam. We're so spring-loaded to self sufficiency to kind of rely on our own resources. Don't serve in your own strength. Don't do what's natural in your own natural strength. I think that's why a lot of our service can become a heavy burden, and we begrudge it. Or maybe, you know, the reason we shrink back to preserve our comfort is because we're used to serving in our own strength. And it doesn't last very long, and we get frustrated and irritated and annoyed. And So, if the Lord calls us to use these gifts for the good of others, he's, he's not just wanting to leave us on our own here. He says, serve by the strength that God supplies. Okay, if I call you out of your comfort zone to a, what seems like a hard and heavy task of ministry... Don't read me as a cruel taskmaster. Or it'll be self-fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) Instead, realize that he wants to actually show us how able and strong he is to help us serve him with gladness because we get a taste of, of operating in his strength on his resources, not our own. Does that make sense? Like, I think oftentimes this, this was such a helpful paradigm shift. I told you that growing up, serving God just seemed like this dutiful, begrudging thing. What if we really believe that every, every need that comes at us, and I know we can't do everything. I'm not even going to qualify along those lines. But what if every time another thing came at us and we, we wanted to just go, Good grief. We want to shrink back. We want to wallow in self-pity. We want to just turn away. What if, what if we said, I just wonder if God wants to push me past my natural resources so that he can really serve me, so that I can really serve others in the strength that he supplies Do you think maybe that might be part of his mode of operation? And if we pull back, we're never going to know the strength of his grace. And all we're going to give people is just our natural resources with lots of sighs and huffs and rolled eyes to boot. So, again, back to this nature of service thing. Do we really believe this? People serve money not out of duty. They don't serve money to give to money. Money doesn't need anything. It promises things. So God's saying, don't serve me 
as if I'm this needy little deity that doesn't know how I'm going to get all the jobs done in my universe. I want to give to you. I want you to serve in the strength that I supply. I want you to know how strong and full and abundant my resources are so that you can serve me with gladness and see that, man, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to give to you. So would you let me give to you? I'm going to have to push you out of your comfort zone, so you're going to have to trust me on this one. Would you let let me give to you? so that you can draw down my resources, so that you can serve in the strength that I supply. So listen, I think here's a good way to summarize this. Serving God is receiving from God so that in the strength that he supplies, we serve others who need it. Is that the way you're oriented? We don't serve the Lord as if he needs it. We serve the Lord by receiving strength and grace from the Lord, we get filled up. And then we pour that grace out on those around us who need it. And so guess what happens? He gets the glory. Other people get the help. And not just our natural help, they get supernatural grace and help because it's God through us. Isn't that a cool way to set up the universe? He's wise. So, We need to receive if we're going to give. I mean, how do you bear additional burdens? Anybody feel like, I got more on my plate than da-da-da, and you just, how am I going to bear more burden? Well, by casting yours on the Lord, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Or Isaiah 40. It's what happens when we we don't try to run in our own strength, but we actually receive strength from the Lord so that we can run. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's receiving from God so that in the strength that he supplies, we serve others. Do you see how that's a discipline? Do you see how that's a discipline we need to, to renew? To, to fight against our spring-loadedness to running on our own steam. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. Really? You want to just operate in your own resources? Or does God have resources so that, you know, Martin Luther, others have said it, I'm too busy not to pray. I can't run on my own resources. All I'll give is my pathetic resources to others. I'll get irritable and and biting and nasty and exacting and exhausted. So how do we bear burdens? By casting ours on the Lord. Isaiah 40. And then we can bear the burdens of others because we're yoked to Jesus. We've got his yoke on us that's easy and light by his grace and strength. 
So this, this is going to happen with your mothering. <laughs> Do you serve the Lord with gladness in your mothering? Man, that feels like crazy heavy service load, doesn't it? How can I do mothering with gladness? Do you have any idea, you know, how crazy my kids are and how this one through? Like, yeah, we know. Serve the Lord with gladness means quit feeling like the Lord is so perpetually disappointed with you and come to him and receive so that in the strength that he supplies you can serve. How about children that are in the room? Being a child at home or at school can be serving the Lord, right? Your parents, sometimes you don't feel like it, but you can serve the Lord with gladness if you receive his grace and operate in his strength. How about your eight to five? You're not really serving that annoying boss. You're serving the Lord Christ, like it says in Colossians 3. So serve the Lord with gladness. It's actually possible if we receive from the Lord so that in the strength that he supplies, we serve others. This is a discipline. A discipline not to serve God as if he needed anything. A discipline to daily receive his grace. And and when we do, we're going to be giving grace, his grace, and we're going to be glorifying God. Last point. Whoever speaks, do it as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So don't serve God unless the Lord Jesus has served you. And you need him to continually serve you so that you serve in the strength that he supplies so that he gets the glory and others get his help through you. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would show us that there is no God like you who works for those who wait for him. I pray that this would just ring in our ears as good news that you don't need anything, but you want to give even when you call us to hard things and serving outside of our comfort zone and even bearing heavy burdens with others as we seek to love them. Lord, would you please drill it in deep that every call to serve is an invitation to receive grace and strength to enable that service so that you get the glory and we are filled up, not running on empty and burned out, and we have much to pour out on others. So Lord, please, for the sake of your great name, help us to learn the discipline of receiving from you so that in the strength that you supply, we can serve others who so desperately need it. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.